0: i still very much see it as a celebration but for me there's something about pride is about taking stock and reflecting on where we're at and um and also looking at kind of self-care as well
1: To the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Hi there, welcome to Wisdom for Wellbeing. I cast my mind back to when this podcast started in early 2020. We had not heard of, well, we might have heard little bits of COVID-19, for instance, at that point, but we certainly were not in the midst of a pandemic. So for me, this is a real marker in the course of time. And I am delighted to be on this journey with you. If it happens to be the first time you're dropping in here, welcome. I am really excited to have you joining us. I am particularly excited about this episode and the lens through which we're approaching it. The episode is recorded in June, so it is the month of Pride, and this episode is all about exploring gender, sexuality, and allyship. I am talking with Dr. Chris, and Dr. Chris is a non-binary, trans psychotherapist, sex and relationship and diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. They are the founder of The Queer Therapist, a UK-based international therapy service specializing in gender, sexuality, and relationship diversity, as well as in neurodivergence. They are committed to queering healthcare practices and challenging stigma and shame around gender diversity. So if you have not yet had the privilege to meet Chris Grant, I am really excited to introduce you now. Without further ado, let me introduce you to Chris. Well, hello, Chris Grant. I am so excited to be sitting down with you virtually, and you know we are so lucky. We are we are in the month of June. We are celebrating Pride Month right now. Um, But of course, listeners, you might have, you might have celebrated, or it might be something that you're learning about through the course of this episode. We know it's maybe not June anymore, but it is, it is a time and a cause for conversation, celebration. And with that, Chris, welcome.
0: Thank you very much. Yeah, delighted to be here, Um, and especially in Pride Month, it's very exciting. Um, Yeah, uh, I... I wonder whether it's helpful to say a little bit about pride at this stage. What Kind of means to me yeah. or what do you
1: think, Caitlin? Oh, I would I would love to get into all of that and to to hear your wisdom and, you know, your, your sense of what pride means. But first, Chris, would you mind actually sharing with listeners a little bit about who you are and the amazing work that you share? Because we actually connected through social media. So um, listeners, if you are not following Chris on social media yet, we connected on Instagram. You're um, at The Queer Therapist and y- you share such wonderful resources you are such I think an inspirational educational person what what are you up to what is what is your heart (laughs) who really would you you know describe yourself as big big questions um
0: yeah I guess I so yeah I'm I'm Chris Grant and I describe myself as a trans masculine person and um so, I'm a psychotherapist first and foremost, and I also do um, sort of a fair amount of sort of consulting work. Where my real heart is is really in destigmatizing uh, trans healthcare care. And I think for me, I very much locate probably the uh, probably one of the main, the biggest factors impacting. Uh, our gender diverse clients is, is the stigma surrounding it actually. And, um, so my, my work is really, uh, yeah, is really about challenging that and is about in many ways normalizing gender diversity as well. Um, alongside that, it's also about, um, you know, uh, normalizing neurodivergence as well within sort of the gender diverse population. Um, my heart is very much in this work so i was i would say deeply affected by gender diversity related issues when i was a teenager and as the years went on obviously i you know trained as a psychotherapist and worked in a lot of um quite you know generic uh psychotherapy settings and i kept coming up against the same problem i kept seeing or not seeing actually a certain kind of therapy and i I I suppose I was looking for, I was looking to see myself reflected in some of these spaces and that wasn't happening. And so I I kind of took the plunge pre-pandemic, I took the plunge to really um, in in many ways kind of hone in on what was already a passion, what was already a specialism working with the LGBTQIA community. Um, And I decided to launch um, the Queer Therapist to really, in many ways, to really claim space. Um, That was quite challenging. So at the time I was working in the NHS and I was doing private practice uh, part-time and I was in many ways, I was out in the NHS, but only to sort of close colleagues. But actually taking that step to sort of fully um, commit in many ways to the queer therapist meant coming out quite rapidly in that setting and I think, again, the learning experience for me from that was, it was just really, really hard. Um, you know, I think I think I cannot say a bad word about any single colleague of mine, but I think it's just the constant drip feed effect of having to upskill those around you and having to... Um, do do a lot of emotional labor in those spaces, you know, really have to hold kindness, really have to hold tolerance and compassion. And, you know, some days you would just be like, you know, this is exhausting, I, yeah. you know, and infuriating. And um and, and so I took I took the decision after um kind of sticking that out for quite a quite a good amount of time, I took the decision to completely um break away from the NHS. I felt Yes, this is definitely a service that needs gender diverse representation amongst its staff. But I thought actually the cost to my own mental health in this space wasn't worth it. Um, So that was very much a kind of a decision around kind of my own boundary work there. Um, But since then, things have kind of gone from strength to strength. Uh, The demand for the service is huge. Um, In many ways, it sort of definitely plunged me into... Uh, hyper-visibility amongst sort of trans community and queer community, certainly in the UK, um, which I found interesting and challenging and very exciting as well. Um, so that's,
1: that is a little bit about me. Well, congratulations, because that's an Thank incredible journey to be sitting in the space now that, you know, you're able to do what it sounds like is your area of expertise and passion and to really be inundated like being able to help provide a service that is so needed but also like just speaking to the emotional labor and like the toll on your mental health as a trained professional operating within this space it's really concerning when we think that you have like undoubtedly many, many skills in your toolbox to help navigate this. Not everyone has those skills and not every service would be theoretically themselves as aware of diversity and wanting to learn, albeit at the cost of the emotional labor you are providing. So we can see how absolutely exhausting and grueling it might be for someone who you know doesn't identify as straight in any other service and circumstance
0: totally totally and I often you know I often think this actually with clients I'm like I'm the one who's got the skills and tools to be able to emotionally regulate in these spaces and if I'm struggling how on earth you know are young are young gender diverse clients managing in these spaces um yeah yeah it's quite quite overwhelming actually to to think about um I think there's um you know I know we'll get probably into the nitty-gritty or language in in more detail but for me I think the biggest barrier in all of these spaces is something around um, almost where power is located and um, so there's something called heteronormativity which is the assumption of you know everyone is straight and there's also this word cis-normativity the assumption that everyone is um, cisgender or basically people who are not trans and I think that's that's where the work is that's really where the work is for a lot of uh, gender diverse people in whatever space they're in they're having to to, to to navigate to navigate these big social structures as
1: well and to have these conversations perhaps that are as you said exhausting and grueling at the best of times and with the best resources so We want to lean into then the concept of pride. Like, I want to come back and unpack um, gender and sexuality. But but first, like, for a little bit of a sparkle of delight, could you share with us what Pride Month is? And for everyone who, yeah, is coming out of the month of June, what you will be looking forward to next year?
0: (laughs) I, for me, Pride Month has really kind of changed its meaning over the years. I think... Whereas maybe when I was younger, I saw pride as it, it's still very much I, I still very much see it as a celebration. But for me, there's something about pride is about taking stock and reflecting on where we're at and um and also looking at kind of self-care as well. So I'm actually going to a retreat later this month, something I would have never, ever done in the past it, during Pride Month. I've usually just um there's so many events on there's so many kind of uh, work-related gigs on um yeah you would usually exhaust yourself doing those things but this month I think it's very much about reflection stepping back um seeing seeing I think where where we're at I think around the world and particularly in the UK and maybe across um the states as well there's been a lot of um political sort of upswing related to um I think lgbtqia rights and things like that so for me pride month this year is very much about sitting with some of that and thinking about okay what what is the next year what 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 kind of campaigning does next year need what what kind of um educational resources do we need to be putting out there for people There's higher rates of um you know since all of effectively since the sort of upswing of um homophobia and transphobia across the media there there has been um sort of uh increased rates of um homophobic transphobic attacks as well so the community is feeling it and so so for me it's about looking at the next year and kind of saying right we need we need to support we need to really dig down um the work is not over yet um we've, we've still got a lot of work to do. Uh, but we also need to be able to take stock and celebrate how far we've got. Again, you know, if we look at the bigger picture, I think the fact that gender diversity is becoming such a, I'm not going to say mainstream, but it's, 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 it's definitely becoming more normalized. That's a big deal. That's a massive deal, and absolutely needs to be
1: celebrated. So it's not all party; some of it is a reflection and taking stock. But I think that this shows, doesn't it, that you know the the way individuals might um, move into into a month of pride can be different. You know, it sounds like you've gone through your own journey as to how you might celebrate and acknowledge, but also really reflect on where things are at and forecast and plan. And we were just talking before before we hit record as well that you know, in the ideal world, it's not just the month of June, right? You know we are leaning towards every month so when you are listening to this now listeners whatever month it is kind of go okay this is a conversation that is important this is an area where we all need to work together to figure out what do we do in the year ahead to ensure that we're I guess creating leaning into a world that is inclusive where we're all celebrated
0: absolutely absolutely and yeah I think I think there are a lot more sort of conversations about yeah just normalizing these things across the year um I I'm sorry my pride spiel wasn't more uh fluffy and joyful though for our listeners but but this
1: is I think this is important Chris and I I think you know, we, we probably need to have more conversations around the fact that while we might be moving along in a journey to understand, you know, gender diversity um, and, and sexuality, that... That we're not there yet and that there are yeah. still serious concerns in terms of mental health and, and physical yeah. health for individuals who do not identify, as you said earlier, you know, with um with heteronormativity, cisnormativity. Like it's it's a real Risky area in a lot of ways yes. to to yes. not fall into this um, perceived norm, and I think that's really important to acknowledge as well. That it's not fluffy; <laughs> it's it's not just the rainbows and the parties, and there there's serious work to be done.
0: And um, and maybe we're kind of touching on that kind of you know, I suppose a bit of allyship as well in there. You know, we're all we're all in this. You know, we're all in this together. Um, you know, trying to, trying to ultimately make the world a nicer, kinder, more tolerant place. And and that takes all of us.
1: For sure. And you, you mentioned, you know, neurodiversity earlier, and perhaps people are more familiar with the concept of spectrum in terms of neurodiversity. And the fact that, you know, we've all um kind of sits somewhere on a spectrum perhaps that you know it doesn't have to be um clear cut that we don't need to be necessarily pigeonholed here or there but perhaps like as we lean into maybe a conversation around gender you might share with us you know what is gender and is the spectrum kind of concept useful there as well
0: so gender is um again this is kind of really important in terms of separating out kind of um that gender is not the same as sex. So that, that can be quite confusing to begin with. Um, it takes a little bit of unpicking. So if we think about sex as um, rooted in kind of biological characteristics. So for instance, um, your sex that you were assigned at birth. So I'll use, my, I'll use myself in this example. Um, so I was assigned female at birth. That, that's my sex marker. Um, as we grow up, what, what usually happens at that point is our gender is um, our gender is kind of assumed at that point. So typically, somebody with the a, a sex marker of female will be assumed to be a girl. So the girl part of that is actually the gender. What what gender actually speaks to is an idea of kind of uh, socially constructed ideas of what a gender what gender is so it's actually um it's actually a sort of something to do with again people will struggle to explain this but it's how we feel inside it's a deeply uh, held internal sense of self um so for instance if we take the example of we are assigned uh, female at birth and it is it is assumed that our gender is girl is a girl when we grow up those of us who are not transgender won't have any um any difficulty with that any distress with that those who maybe are gender diverse or trans will feel that difference maybe subtly but also maybe acutely they may notice that they're actually questioning what's going on here they're questioning something about their gender a good example again of this is asking somebody who isn't transgender so somebody who is cisgender how do you know you are a man how do you know you are a woman and most people will just say but i just know in the same way for a lot of gender diverse people they will say i just know it's i'm i'm i wouldn't be questioning this if i if i weren't in some way feeling somewhat gender diverse i think the spectrum idea is um, i think it's a good i think it's a good metaphor so when we're talking about a spectrum of kind of gender diversity we're trying to move away from what's called the gender binary or the assumption that everything is neatly divided into male female or woman man and actually moving away from the gender binary actually means quite scary to say but actually means letting go of that and allowing ourselves to maybe sit somewhere somewhere else so the spectrum metaphor is is useful when thinking about this, but a lot of the trans community are now talking about actually gender being almost like, um, almost like something that you can't even pin down to, to a spectrum. Actually, the spectrum in some ways is still, um, is it, still quite restrictive. Yeah. So, because some people will, for instance, you know, I, I will also identify as non-binary and the assumption, that a lot of people will um make with non binaries. okay you're something about you're neither man or woman or you're half man half woman i don't feel either of those things i know i feel much more male uh leaning in terms of how i express myself my gender but i don't feel i don't i don't feel like a little bit of woman a little bit of man so yes helpful as a metaphor but um I think, again, it's it's trying to allow ourselves to let go of a lot of these constructs and that's quite scary.
1: Yep. So that's a really interesting point, isn't it, that again, it's something that can be constricting and the letting go is really hard for us, isn't it? We like certainty and clear understanding. and when we might not ourselves have the embodied experience it's perhaps harder for us to get our heads around it hence the importance of really conversations to understand what is your experience like you know what is it um that you you know experience inside of your own skin and honoring that not questioning someone's experience yes
0: yeah yeah absolutely i think i think it's actually these kind of conversations caitlin which which are really helpful, just being able to um, comfortably explore this. And, and uh, you know, I'm talking about my experience here, but I, I'm also trying to speak to um, certainly a lot of trans people experiences, which, which really vary. You know, I've been working with this client group for, you know, 10 plus years now, and I'm still, I'm still amazed at, at what I don't know. And I think there's something there about the importance of cultural humility in working with this client group, just not needing to always hook into that certainty, as you say, Caitlin.
1: Yeah. And, and Chris, with this, I'm, I'm kind of in my mind going, okay, well, this is really concerning, isn't it? Because we're told then, you know, growing up that, that you are this way, this is your truth. And uh, within my own family and with some clients I work with, like that hasn't been their experience. If we were growing up and someone was constantly telling us, no, no, the sky is not blue, that is not the way it is, you would really start to question your reality. And that's hugely destabilizing. If you have to constantly go, is this, isn't this? Which really pairs with trauma, you know? Like there, there's a lot of trauma from, you know, having your experience questioned and, and essentially being told this is not the reality of you and who you are.
0: That That is that comes up, I would say, several times a day when I'm in clinic with my clients. This kind of realization that, again, I kind of touched on it earlier, when we are not mirrored in our environments, we, of course, in in many ways, we're we're being taught perhaps a set of values, not wrong values, well-intended values, but those values are actually undermining you know to sound cheesy that authentic self we're talking about values about cisnormativity, so the assumption that everybody isn't trans or heteronormativity the, the assumption that everybody is straight when you're raised with those kind of values or I- ideas and beliefs of course you're going to question yourself and of course it's going to be destabilizing and then that's where all of this confusion and um I would say where a lot of the mental health is 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 located um and again it's it's very much trying to move away from this is uh the that mental health in some ways is situated in the individual rather than actually mental health being situated in maybe systemic or societal frameworks that aren't serving this individual so I I feel that on a daily basis but because I have that awareness I'm able to separate it out and say right that's That's mine. And this is what's been imposed on me. But again, without that language, without that awareness, without the tools, without what I know, that's, that's really difficult to navigate.
1: Uh, Thank you for articulating that as well. You know, this idea that um, it's essentially mental health then becomes a systemic problem. Because I, I suppose like in the work you do, you'd be intimately aware of this. There's concerned that because someone might identify as trans or you know whatever kind of identification someone has that we go okay well um, that pairs with the higher incidences of mental health that we see in a particular population that we in some ways lay blame on an individual rather than going this is because of the culture an individual has to navigate and essentially their reality has been shaken every step of the way likely to get to this point where they might even have language to try and articulate an experience
0: yes yes and i, I think my my work is is actually it's it's un, well a lot of it is unlearning unlearning a lot of these um i guess these social constructs the ones that maybe aren't serving them and 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 and, and building from there building new coping mechanisms from there
1: yeah and with this you know and and I, you can probably give me some light as to where you sit on this. So, you know, we talk about using pronouns now and this has become more and more common and, you know, I I use mine. However, I, I wonder and I've heard conversation around the fact that this can also be challenging because if we're asking people to share their pronouns and that's not something that they're necessarily wanting to reveal they're either asked to essentially once again um cast an inauthentic light to use sort of the authenticity language to the world they're put in a very vulnerable position it could be re-traumatizing like what is your understanding of pronouns and how can we use them in a way if we use them that that actually fits
0: so um I think generally speaking, I, I think that's a really, really good point because it, it actually touches on, um, uh, I, I guess, something there about actually challenging, <clears throat> challenging. historically coming out has always been seen as, you know, we've got to come out, we've got to, you know, be seen to come out. But again, the community on the whole is really starting to kind of resist the idea of coming out because, it, as you say, it actually can take power away in those situations. And a lot of people are looking at the value of actually particularly in certain religious environments political environments depending on their kind of intersecting identities that coming out is um maybe not safe and maybe not um comfortable for the person generally speaking i what i usually would recommend is yes you can ask they can say no they can say no in those situations if they're not comfortable. But I think if we normalize the simply just asking what a person's pronouns are. Um, obviously, email signatures, that's really helpful, things like that. I think you can't go wrong if you ask a person. Um, how you ask a person, you know, you can simply just say, um, you know, hi, my name's Chris, I, uh, you can introduce yours. Um, do you have any you have pronouns that you'd like me to use they may just say no um so asking really is is the is my best advice in in these situations
1: yeah beautiful and it comes back again to asking for someone to share their experience their wisdom yeah yeah their their language choices Chris, you've so beautifully talked us through gender and, you know, pairing it with with pronouns as well that an individual can perhaps choose their their pronouns and that we can affirm an individual's use of pronouns by acknowledging our own and sharing that if we feel comfortable to do. So sexuality, as you said earlier, is different. And I think, as you said, there's a lot of, Perhaps confusion in in how we understand these two parts of our identity. How would you describe sexuality and and what is the experience of?
0: So sexuality is um, Again, it's 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 a big it's a big subject. It's a complex subject But I would say to kind of narrow it down. I would say sexuality is who we are it could be romantically and sexually or sexually attracted to so essentially you know sexuality again is is um i'm going to use the metaphor of a spectrum here um i uh want to also bring kind of asexuality again into the spectrum of sexuality so again if we think of um those of us who have um maybe some experience of uh things like desire or arousal those of us maybe with higher experiences of desire or arousal but our sexuality is really about who we who we are drawn to yes both romantically and sexually and um and also how our sexuality can change across the lifespan so i think with both gender and and sexuality again we don't we like the certainty of having identities that are maybe more static and more stable, but actually we're seeing more and more in the research that both gender and sexuality across the lifespan are, are actually in flux and will shift and change. And again, there's something here really important about separating out what we, what we innately feel versus what society maybe wants from us. So we may lock ourselves into, um, things like you know heterosexuality because it's what we know it's what we feel comfortable in but there may be parts of us or throughout our life there may be parts of us that want to explore that want to try different things or that might actually we may even shift our kind of yeah attraction towards certain people so um again uh, using myself as an example so i i just initially described myself as as gay and since i've kind of come out as trans i now identify as queer um i've typically only been attracted to um uh women or um uh kind of feminine presenting people um but i'm very much open to the idea of that that might change i don't i don't it never has to date but it could change um and again i see that a lot with with um gender diverse clients as well
1: thank you and thank you for acknowledging this idea that probably for listeners who are like oh i've noticed that shift like that it that's okay you know that, that it's not that Absolutely. you know something was incorrect or you got it wrong before it's that your preferences your attraction can shift and change there's a fluidity to it
0: yes and 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 also it doesn't necessarily need to be need to be sexual so hence me sort of talking about kind of yes you can be romantically attracted mm. uh to people as well uh and and even for some a romantically attracted so some people won't experience any romantic attraction but will have uh, sexual attraction to people so there's a lot within the sort of sexuality um yeah there's a there's kind of a lot to unpack there
1: yeah, so parching that out to um, romantic versus... Uh, not necessarily versus, but that there's two areas, romantic and sexual. And yes. as you said, not necessarily um, either or.
0: Not necessarily, no.
1: Yeah, so when an individual is kind of in this place where they might feel, okay, you know, there there is this experience that I have had, and they're trying to figure out who they are on this journey. And you mentioned that you work with a lot of young people, so... Um, What incredibly powerful work, because what years could be saved working with an attuned therapist, a support person in navigating, you know, who one is within a culture that might be challenging? You know, as you said, a heteronormative, a cisnormative culture. How can someone lean into figuring out all of these various components from, you know, their their sense of self, because there's a lot, isn't there? You know, we've only got a brief time together, and I yeah. imagine in sessions you spend many, many hours yeah. working with individuals. Could you give some tips for individuals searching and kind of trying to capture?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There There, there is a lot, and I, certainly what I see with clients when they first enter session is, almost terror there's an experience of terror and a lot of that terror is to do with the stigma again of on some level it's oh my god maybe i am trans and what will that mean for my future what will that mean you know all of that um so it's a slowly kind of unpacking of that um i think the the best thing to do in these situations is if you're able to um if you're able to get support whether that's you know a gender affirming therapist i would highly recommend that it it can be a very lonely process even if we have trans people in our life the kind of gender journey is a lot of people will be at varying points on their gender journey and um there there tends to be a lot of feelings of loss and grief and and that can bring up a lot for different people so uh, yeah i would say therapy alongside that, it would be hugely important. Um, If you're in a challenging environment where therapy isn't possible, but you still have all of these questions, or maybe don't even have access to kind of queer spaces. I think online spaces in particular are really a godsend for, you know, the queer community in general. I see the queer community really thriving in online, in online spaces. Um, And I think for gender diverse people, whether young or whatever age, um, I think being able to tap into uh, gender diverse spaces, whether it's on Instagram or TikTok or um, maybe gaming or something like that. Again, it's a slowly normalizing of these experiences and having exposure to other people with maybe similar experiences, but also different gender experiences as well. Um, If you are in the position where you are able to access um, like queer organizations, I would really do that. So my practice has very much shifted from, yes, working individually, and that's not to discount the importance of working individually, but for me, I see the most mental health healing in community and what community offers. So I do uh, gender uh therapy groups as well uh to connect a lot of people together a lot of people will have similar issues but a lot of people will also feel isolated and want to meet other um trans or gender diverse people if you have the opportunity of of building community i would highly recommend doing that and again it's just a reminder that if if you're if you're gender diverse you know again if if you're cisgender there are cisgender people likely to be everywhere around you when you're gender diverse you don't have that privilege and it is um it is powerful when gender diverse people are together and where you see they're not having to upskill or explain or um yeah where they can actually just feel a little bit more regulated um in their nervous systems um so community 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 is a big one um contacting your local organizations, getting into online uh, gender spaces. If you're scared to reach out to these spaces, I would say that's really normal. And everyone's going to feel probably a little bit terrified about accessing these spaces. So I'd really recommend even contacting, if there's a facilitator or um, a point of contact, just to say, I'm not feeling comfortable. Is there any way we can meet beforehand? It's okay to be vulnerable in these situations.
1: Thank you, it is so powerful, such an important point around the privilege that that exists when someone can say, oh, you know, cis, cis-normality essentially in our day-to-day general communities until one actually makes the, um, the steps to access a space like you've created, Chris, how incredibly powerful to go into a space and to be safe in a community where individuals are navigating Different journeys and stories, but there's a shared understanding and clear acceptance.
0: Yes, yes, yes. and I and again, I think this is a community which is, um, I think, so affected by the perception of their identity. So rejection in there. So why it's all the more important to have have that accepting space as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And. In the context of, you know, certainly here in Adelaide, um, there are a number of groups where community do come together, you know, that are accepting but what i'm kind of gathering is that you facilitate this group as a therapeutic group and kind of having spoken to you know the likely trauma the grieving process that an individual might experience like there's benefits to both potentially for an individual perhaps a more formalized sort of therapy group as well as a community group that might be less formalized yeah. is is that an yeah. accurate take Yes yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. So then in kind of understanding a little bit more, how can individuals show up as allies? Like how how can we essentially support individuals who are navigating a, a terrain where it is it is fraught with as you've sort of alluded to and directly stated you know stigma and trauma and a system where an individual is doing the emotional labor to to teach those of us who are so privileged in terms of um you know gender identity kind of being within a norm how do we show up as allies like what can we be doing chris that does make us more effective so that our our family our friends our our beings and community are not so exhausted and so vulnerable from from doing this journey alone
0: it's a it's a great question uh and i think there's there's something here about what can we do on the kind of micro level what can we do on the macro level as well i think on the micro level you know if we have um we, we all have power you know we all have power in our roles in our jobs in our lives and you know there's there is enormous power in in even just asking questions you know a question like how are you how are you doing or um things might be difficult for you at the moment or um it's it's i think there's something here about really the importance of being compassionate being curious remaining kind of open-minded um we can all do that on a micro level i think again if we're in our workplace and we're kind of aware of gosh you know what would it be like to sit in this meeting as somebody that maybe doesn't have the privilege that i have what would they be what would they be hearing are there things that we can do in our policies are there do our questionnaires account you know do our intake forms account for these people um so kind of having a little bit of a a sort of outside lens on things and i'm i'm being brave to kind of speak up on behalf of that community as well um on a macro level there's there's a lot of things you know that we can do we can be you know we can help with sort of political change you know we can write to our um our mps our political leaders we can um uh you know we can even show up to these sort of lgbt organizations and say look you know is you know can i volunteer can i do anything here i think it, you know really it's it's again i touched on it earlier there's something here about recognizing our power and our privilege so a lot of us i, I have um you know it's interesting even as a trans person i also hold a lot of power you know i've been third level educated i'm white i'm english speaking um you know i'm in a salaried job all of these things mean that i have more power to affect change than maybe somebody else and and it's i i think there's something here about what can we do as communities to be kinder and um that's a big factor um the other the other thing I was going to touch on is kind of meaningful platforming as well. So, yes, Pride Month, of course, is so important, but I think we're, we're a lot of us are becoming more aware of this thing that's called pink washing, where, or corporate um, uh, sort of rainbow capitalism, it's called, where a lot of Pride Month is being, um, in many ways, there's sort of a lot of virtue signaling. There's a lot of kind of non-meaningful platforming of diversity to profit off our community. So I think, again, the queer community are very acutely aware of this issue. And um, I think, again, where there is meaningful platforming, that's huge, that that means the world. The key thing to note is um, there's something about creating a sort of tipping point here. So you only need 25% of a population to create a tipping point. And that tipping point, I think, means increased tolerance, increased openness, increased kindness. And yeah, I mean, who, who doesn't wanna live in a world with, with all of those things? So we can all be part of that tipping point.
1: That's, that's so powerful you know this idea of a tipping point and that we can help reach that that we can encourage these conversations that we can be looking around in the meetings we're attending on the platforms that we might be connected in or have um some sway over and really consider how how we kind of lean into a conversation but as you said really focus on compassion and kindness like it sounds like that's a real guiding principle for you chris
0: yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you know we can really get uh, bogged down in all the detail and the kind of it's very concept heavy, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and and actually that can be very alienating for a lot of people. What we're talking about is we're all just humans here, and these are all just varying expressions of human experience and humanity. That, that's the nuts and bolts of it, and I think we can all relate to to that. Um, so yeah, compassion is very key.
1: So essentially we're figuring out how to create spaces that are safe for everyone and that are um, that are kind, that are compassionate, how we use a voice of privilege where we might have power to ensure that others are safe to be in this space as well, to use their voice um, equally. I also, I, I think it's interesting that you brought up the... Um, rainbow washing is that what you call it yeah I haven't actually heard this before but I was um at the liquor store the other day and I was like (laughs) shocked because there was a big a big display and it was to sell a particular bottle of wine and not um not being aware that this was something that had been so clearly experienced I was a little bit caught off off guard by the the sales pitch so to speak so that's something how yeah I mean Caitlin you know
0: I I don't know what was it maybe a few was it a week ago yeah i i literally squealed when i went into a local uh, grocery store here and found a, a packet of skittles that was a rainbow proper pride flag colored packet of skittles i was like i have to buy this you know like even as a queer person you're like i i am absolutely you know drawn into this as well but i think it again it's just being able to step back and be like okay who is this actually serving because you know, a lot of these big corporations are actually I mean, it, again, you know, it's not pleasant, but a lot of these organizations are funneling a lot of money into lobbying against queer, queer groups. And, you know, outside of the June month, um, you know, so it's, it's very tokenistic. It's very virtue signaling. Not all of them. Of course, everybody can't be brandished with that. But um yeah it's 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 quite it's quite alarming the amount of corporations who have a very anti-lgbt stance who are um um yeah yeah it's just going along with pride for the for for profiteering essentially
1: thanks for thanks for flagging that too because when we're talking about micro like what we can do in our communities and in, in you know various meetings we might attend like where we have that direct um I guess, influence, but we talked about micro and macro. So perhaps from a more macro level, it might actually be looking at where our money is going in terms of companies yes. we might in, invest in, even if it's like where we where we spend our dollars on our lollies. Yes. You know, like some, yes. something as simple as that is actually like yes. a bigger level, perhaps, conversation that we can do day by day.
0: Yes, yes, because, you know, I, I always... I always find it lovely when I see somebody maybe with a tote bag with a rainbow on it and who's clearly an ally and we don't want to stop that. That's gorgeous. Um, But yes, it's just been a little bit more discerning and um, yeah, figuring out where we're spending. Yeah. Where we're spending money
1: yeah so maybe rather than buying the tote bag at our um, big chain supermarket or wherever it might be looking at different communities where that money might actually be um lent back into efforts yeah okay yeah exactly
0: the the one thing that I didn't touch on I I have on my uh website I say um I talk a lot about creating brave spaces so I think you know we talk a lot about creating safe spaces but I think with particularly with this community, it's really important, yes, as clinicians, but but also as allies to be able to create brave spaces. So a lot of us are scared to get things wrong, to make mistakes. And I think that's where it's really important to sort of say, be brave, ask those questions. I think certainly with I would say the majority of my clients, including myself in this, when when people are curious even if they make mistakes it's it is so humbling it is so it is so lovely to see so again that the importance of I think they're just saying it's okay to get it wrong you don't need to get it right we're all learning including you know trans people here as well we're is ever shifting ever changing um so yeah be be brave as well
1: What a beautiful note to tie it together that we can lean into creating brave spaces. We can use kindness, compassion to be those guiding principles, those beacons in how we're showing up and ensuring everyone is more able to show up as their authentic self, um, as, okay. as beautifully as that's put, as corny as it might sound, but as, <laughs> as much as we want to create that beautiful space. Chris, how can people work with you? How can people connect with you? You know, where, where are you at? So, um, okay.
0: Okay. If you want to get in touch my website is thequeertherapist.com feel free just to even drop me an email say hello I always like to hear from people you can also get in touch with me over Instagram so my handle is at thequeertherapist and you'll find a ton of kind of information and resources there both kind of gender um, also kind of uh, neurodivergence as well Um, those are the two main places
1: amazing those will also be in the show notes listeners so if you are driving and can't get this all down know that they're going to be accessible and Chris thank you so much for making this space and sharing with us your incredible wisdom and sharing with us your time today
0: it's been an absolute pleasure Caitlin thank you so much for having me and yeah I hope your listeners get something out of it
1: yes and i hope that we can all lean into you know a future where maybe it's not just one month of of pride of rainbows
0: happy happy pride either way <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. thank you caitlin bye
1: Wow, right? Doesn't Chris cultivate such a compassionate, kind, and as they say, a really brave space for us to lean into these conversations around how we do, challenge, and hopefully one day eradicate the stigma and the shame around gender diversity, sexuality, and relationship diversity? You... You know, might very well want to connect with Chris for further support or to see their resourcing, free resourcing on social media at The Q Therapist, and of course, such wonderful offerings and services at www. thequeertherapist.com. I will link to all of this in the show notes, which you can get at drkaitlyn.com backslash brave spaces. So that is backslash brave spaces using Chris's beautiful language around what we're aspiring to. If you are on the journey of allyship, let's keep showing up imperfectly, but day by day, because if our aspiration is for all of us to be able to lean into our authentic self to be you know in alignment with who we truly are on the inside and if we value inclusion and diversity we need to act and to take action so consider what is your project for this week what are your micro and macro actions that you can take to support gender diversity, sexuality, and relationship diversity. What can you do to lean into inclusivity? Whether this is in meetings in the boardroom, in conversations at the dinner table with your family, whether this is writing to politicians, making comment on news articles, social media releases, action is necessary and Having that permission to slip up, to make mistakes, to learn, as Chris so beautifully offered, allows us to move through a freeze response, a fear that we might do it wrong. We are all in this journey, as they so beautifully said, together. So let's do it. Let's create brave spaces in ourselves for action and in community. I wish each of you, all of you, a wonderful week ahead. (laughs) Here's to queering, as Chris says, healthcare practices, but creating that space of diversity in our own lives and community. I am so excited for the journey that we have ahead. Let's take things forward (laughs) rather than backwards, as Chris has kind of mentioned, is, is happening in the world around us. Let's go forward all of us together. All right. Wishing you well in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating, or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Well-Being is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.